We started last Sunday morning and continued last Sunday night this Arise and Build series that we like to do in January. And this, will, this lesson will conclude this series. And it's about how God's people in Nehemiah's time built the walls of Jerusalem for the Lord. They did what, what people might not have thought could be done, didn't get done for over 100 years. They did it in 52 days. And um, it's really a case study as, as we get into it and watch how Nehemiah and the people worked in how God's work can be done, how we partner with the Lord. So I want to talk about toys for a minute. <laughs> and uh, as, we, as we think about this, we're, we're going, I want to get into one of my daughter, my oldest daughter and son's favorite toys, and that is Legos. And think about building with Legos. How do you build something meaningful with Legos? Uh, you, you do it the same way you build anything else. You have to understand the work. You have to care about what you're doing. You have to pay attention to it and complete it. Uh, we're going to get into a particular experiment with Legos in a minute. Last week, we talked about how if we want to build like Nehemiah, we need to care about the work. We need to own the work, take responsibility. This is not somebody else's job. We need to plan the work. We care enough about it to try to do it well. What's the best way to get it done? We need to encourage one another in the work and, and work it. Everybody needs a job. We all contribute. We are all members, body parts in the body of Christ, and each part needs to be working and functioning and so if, if you don't know what your place is, what your contribution is in the group, and you're a part of this church, we got to find it. You know, let, let our elders know. You'd like to find a place, let them know where, what you uh, are passionate about, what you feel like you could contribute, what, you, what needs to be done. You know, there aren't many people who are passionate about scrubbing toilets, but it's something that needs to get done. So we don't just do what we're excited about all the time. We do what we can do to contribute uh, to the to the work, and then we need to keep building when Satan attacks. One of the goals of of this second lesson last Sunday night is to help us see that in reality the work of this church happens in the context of a grand cosmic battle. The spiritual forces of darkness are trying to stop the work of the hundred or so people who are working here. They want to tear it down. They want to discourage it. They want to slow it down. They want to pull people away. And so we have to keep building like Nehemiah and the Jews did. They kept believing when critics planted doubts. They kept working when brethren refused to help. They kept courage when people just wanted to fight. And they kept focused when distractions pulled at them. I am doing a great work. I can't come down there. I have to keep doing what I'm doing because this matters. It matters. And that's really something we need to hold on to. And one of the things I want us to get as we continue into this lesson, what we're doing is meaningful, it's lasting, and it will work. So here's this Lego experiment. It was in 2008 by those scientists up there. And they had people build Bionicles, which is a kind of Lego toy. Riley's like, yeah, I love me some Bionicles. <laughs> yeah, so there are these Lego toys that you build up, 
and they would have people uh, get paid for as many as they did. And they could stop whenever they wanted. And so you'd build one, and uh, at the end of the, the process, you would get paid, but there was a twist. They had two different groups. Some of the people, when you'd build the Bionicle, they would set the toy on the shelf and line them all up so you could see your work. The other group, as soon as you finished it, they would take it and tear it apart and throw it into a waste bucket. They were both getting paid the exact same amount for each Bionicle that they built. Well, what do you think the effect was? It's interesting the names they used for each group. They called this first group the meaningful condition, and the second group they called the Sisyphus condition. Thinking about that Greek character in mythology who is cursed to forever push a, a boulder up a hill and it rolls back down on him and he pushes it back again and it rolls back down on him because it's a Sisyphus, how do you say that? Sisyphian task? It's a task that feels meaningless. It's like, it's like every day in our house when you say, I just cleaned this bathroom. <laughs> Leanne's coming over. We just cleaned it. And five minutes later, there's toothpaste all over it. What happened? It can feel like a Sisyphus condition whenever we don't feel like our work is lasting, is meaningful, really ultimately matters. And the results, not surprisingly, uh, the average before stopping on the meaningful condition is a 10.6 average of Bionicles that were completed. With the Sisyphus condition, it was 7.2 average. Though they're getting paid the same amount, told the same instructions, everything was the same except what happened right after. And not only did they keep going throughout, but they built faster in the meaningful condition, whereas in the Sisyphus condition, they built slower, yet they quit earlier. And so what's the point of all this? The point is we have a task that we will succeed in. Our work won't be piled up and thrown away right after it's done. Our success is guaranteed. It's guaranteed by God. In fact, that's what Nehemiah said in our text as the reason to build. He said in chapter 2, verse 20, our God will give us success Therefore, we will arise and build. It's not our God will give us success. Therefore, we're going to sit back and watch him give us success. It doesn't work that way, right? From the beginning, Seth and I were just talking yesterday about the, one of the big ideas of Scripture right there in the beginning of the, of the Bible in Genesis 2. God designed us to partner with him that God made us he made humans and he said you're going to be my partners in my work did he need us to do anything absolutely not there's nothing I can do that he couldn't have just done himself you know it's like whenever you're again with the kids you know you're thinking I could have just done this so quickly but we want them to learn 
And so we walk them through it, and we make them our partners, and we teach them how to do the task imperfectly compared to maybe how skillful you would do loading the dishwasher because you've done it for 20 years. But here it is uh, a year later, and you've got partners, and you can work together as a family. Well, that's what God wants. He wants to work together in his family to accomplish his work. And if you don't believe you're going to succeed, then it's going to change how we work. We might give up altogether. I always think that the, the best love stories are often the ones where the guy thinks that he really doesn't have a chance with the girl. But somehow, somehow, if you think back, guys, to before you married your wife, before you proposed to your wife, you had to think, I've got a chance. I've got a glimmer of hope that she might say yes, or you probably wouldn't ask. And so you ask. If we don't have that hope that this can matter, it's not going to be easy, but this can be successful. If we don't think that there is somebody out there waiting for us to ask them for a Bible study, they might not know it, but they're waiting to be converted by the gospel of Christ. Then we won't ask anybody for a Bible study. If we don't think that these truths are going to stick in our children's brain and someday transform them to the point where they can be uh, touched by the grace of God and walk with him in his ways, we won't be very motivated to put our heart and soul into teaching them these things. And it's that way with all of the work that we do. What if our success is guaranteed? It changes everything about what we do. And here's what we see as we, as we follow through these, the, the book of Nehemiah. We see these promises from God. And because God promises, therefore, we act. Nehemiah says, our God will give us success, therefore, we will arise and build. I love that song. It brought tears to my eyes that we sang before the Lord's Supper. And I will tell of your salvation. I'll tell all men. For all your promises are true. For my part, I believe. You believe. If we believe, then we'll tell all men. If we believe, then we'll get to the work. If we believe, then we'll invest in our brother and our sister when they're discouraged. If we believe, then what I have in my possessions, in my time, in my energy, in my priorities are at God's mercy, surrendered to his service. Our theme this year is sound forth the word. And I want to thank everybody that was here Sunday night and filled out one of those evangelism checklists. It was really, really good stuff that was, I collected. Um, and I've started tabulating all of that. And I'm generating from that a, a plan for our lessons and some of the other act, evangelism activities we're going to do this year. Uh, and, and in a future lesson, we'll really focus on what this coming year is going to be about and how we're going to, to walk through this process of equipping one another to share the gospel with each other, to 
invite to share YouTube videos, to sound forth the word in many different ways. But tonight we want to, or this morning, we want to look back and build our faith from past success. First of all, by the past success of Nehemiah and the Jews of his time. And secondly, past success here last year, because it's easy to miss that we're in the midst of a work. And a lot happened in the last year. Point number one, with each of these, I want to note a promise of God and an action. First is that God remembers. And because of that, therefore, we pray. In chapter 4, verse 9, it says, And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. All these people that were opposing them. They just kept praying, but they also set this guard. In verse 15, it says, Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And so there is this prayer that's happening, but the prayer is moving them to, to act. This word, remember, is an important word throughout Scripture. That's what we just did in the Lord's Supper. We remembered. The Bible tells us to remember a lot, but it's also important for us to understand that God remembers. I mean, it's obvious, I guess. God remembers. God, God doesn't forget anything. But Nehemiah, and he's not the only one, repeatedly prays for God to remember. There are 11 prayers in the book of Nehemiah, 11 prayers where he is pouring his heart into these prayers. He is uh, asking God for help. The book begins in chapter 1, long before, he, um, long before he actually says, our God will give us success. In chapter 1, verse 11, he says, give success to your servant today. It's a prayer before it's a, a promise and a commitment and a declaration to everybody else. In chapter 2, we read about how he prays right before he talks to the king. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, we see him praying. He says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captive. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out. He's looking to these people that are opposing him, and he's not punishing them, but he's praying, Lord, I trust you to bring justice, to bless, and to help. And, and God answers all of these prayers. Six of these prayers are prayers for God to remember. Remember your servant. He says, remember what I have done. And in that same prayer, lest we think that he's, he's all thinking that, that he's earning all of God's favor, he says, remember me because of your steadfast mercy and love. In fact, the very last words of the book are one of the many in-line prayers where Nehemiah just while writing the book, turns his words into a prayer and says, remember me 
oh my God, we're good. What's he really praying there? What's he saying? Does he think that he is so important that God would care what he has done? Yeah. Yeah. Not because he's some great guy, but because God cares about him. And God gave him this task. And he tried with all of his ability to be faithful in this task. You matter to God. And your work matters to God. The good deeds that you have done matter to God. We have to get this or we're going to think that all our work is just a bunch of garbage bionicles thrown in a bucket. We have to get that, no, it, we don't think that we're so great and that we have earned our salvation because of our works. But we need to know they matter. They matter to the Lord. They matter to a lost world that looks at us and sees the Lord. Remember, and he will remember. He remembers now. He'll remember when he meet, we meet him face to face. Nehemiah didn't act without prayer. Remember it said they prayed and they set a watch. He didn't act without prayer and he didn't pray without action. Makes me think of that old Arab proverb, trust the Lord, tie your camel. You do both, right? You trust the Lord and you tie your camel. It's, it's, we don't trust the Lord and say, and, and I'm going to go jump off of a skyscraper because you'll save me. That sounds like the testing that Satan was doing whenever he was talking to Jesus about throwing himself off. We do what we can, and we trust the Lord to do the rest. And so we're constantly praying. This congregation has to be fueled by prayer. We will not succeed without prayer. I, I've always been struck by this story I heard uh, about a, a really thriving, growing church um, that some brothers told me, you know, we, we weren't, didn't used to be growing. We, we were dwindling in number and we were struggling. And we decided we're going to spend a whole year getting together all year long to pray about this church and about the work God wants us to do. We're going to pray for the lost. We're going to pray for this church to grow. We're going to pray for this church to be alive. We're going to pray for workers. And they did that for a year. And then, no. Prayer began to be answered until they were changed, their work was changed, and the Lord blessed their work has to be at the heart of who we are. How often do you pray for this church to grow numerically and spiritually? How often do you pray for one another? How often do you pray for the lost people in your life, for the visitors we have, for the work that's happening in each class, for the work that's happening in each event, for the work that's happening in each team? Nehemiah was a man of prayer, and he sets a great example for all leaders. Our leaders have to be men of prayer. In my experience, I believe they are. I've gotten the privilege of sitting in on a lot of elder meetings here over the years and praying together 
with our elders or sitting down with a struggling Christian and praying with our elders. This church has to be a community of prayer where we gather in a circle again and again to approach the, the Lord of heaven. And each of us needs to be praying about the work. The monks in the 6th century, there is a monastic order that started using this Latin phrase, ora et labora. Work, prayer is work, work is prayer. Every time we're working, we're praying about the work because we roll our work to the Lord, we commit our work to the Lord and he blesses it. When we're, we're working, we're praying, when we're praying, we're doing the most work we could ever get done just in those prayers. Give success to your servant. Oh God, strengthen my hands, he said in Nehemiah 6.9. Remember me, oh my God, do not wipe out my good deeds. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Secondly, God fights for us. Therefore, we stand. We can, we can stand in the face of the battle in the power of his might, as we studied when we talked about the armor of God not long ago. We stand because he is with us. This is a picture of the, the walls in Nehemiah's time as they were being rebuilt. And if you look in chapter 3, you'll see a list of different families. And each one got a different section of the wall. These clans, bigger than a, than a family as we would think of it. But these different clans, these different families, each got a section of the wall. And we need to do the same thing. We have to stand together as families, as a family all together. And, and we, we need to support our family members, each individually. And we're, we're all doing different portions of the work, you know? We, it's fun watching, watching families work together. <laughs> it's fun watching Hannah and Riley. I, I, I got to, I, you know, I was with uh, them on their first date, right? It's pretty cool. And, and how they've grown over the last couple of years. We've watched them grow into these influential builders in the work of the Lord. To watch the, the Ternays all contribute when they're working on Epic, you know? And there's these different relationships we have. I kind of, I hope this isn't offensive. I kind of think of uh, Judy and Sandy as the same as when my mom and her closest sister are together, where they're just side by side, always partnering up in things. You know, we stand together, we work together as families. But then whenever there was a, a situation where there was a danger while they were building, they were supposed to blow a trumpet and everyone would rally to where the need is. So if you're working over here, somebody else is over here, and there's an issue. Up, there's something happening up in Auburn. You know, Phil and Diane's water broke. There's Steve and Stephanie over there, I don't know, getting buckets or something. You know, maybe the issue is um, a crisis of faith. Maybe the issue is... Somebody's sick. I remember when this past, uh, I think, November, when our family just got hit and we were down for like two weeks. 
And there's Annette showing up with like enough food for three weeks. I think she brought a whole Chipotle over to us that was homemade. But like we had the whole lineup and, and you know, everybody, we got so many meals, so many people taking care of us, covering for the sermons or things I was supposed to be doing. We rally to where the need is. And knowing God will fight changes how we do the work. It changes Knowing that we're, success, we're going to be successful and not thrown, the thing thrown into a waste bucket changes it. We're not desperate and hopeless. We're confident. Whenever you're desperate and hopeless, when you talk to someone about the gospel, it's different. And whenever you're confident, they may or may not accept the gospel, but we will succeed because God's word always succeeds. So we're going to Give them this opportunity. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll flourish now. Maybe it'll flourish later. Maybe they'll stifle it out. But we will succeed. And knowing where we will succeed changes how we work. And finally, because God gives us success, therefore we work. And this is, this is really at the heart of this lesson. But what is success? Success, Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 16, is building up the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, and we are building. Building up the body of Christ. Well, what does that look like? These are taken from those slips that you guys gave us last Sunday. Adrian was collecting back there. You can read about some of the specifics. But it sheet after sheet and comment after comment was about how different people's needs were met, how people stepped up and just took care of things. Um, there are those among us who have a lot of physical, financial needs, but there are all kinds of needs among us. And this group did the work. Friendships, new friendships were made. You know, something I didn't put up here that feels missing as I, as I come up here is uh, we've been praying for workers and, and uh, we just had Abby and Skyler decide to work with this group and meet with the elders. And, and what a blessing. What a great young group, a, a couple of workers and, and partners and friends for us to develop and deepen these relationships with. One thing that uh, one brother brought up is how we're so blessed to have these cross-generational friendships, you know? Not everybody has this. Not everybody has a close friend that's got your back that you could talk to that's, you know, 76 and a close friend that's 14, you know, and one that's 46 and one that's, you know, 29. And, you know, men and women those among us who've been Christians a long time and, and those who haven't. It's been brought up many times, all of the engaging classes that happened last year. We had the, the men's weekend, and the ladies' uh, weekend, and the, the epic event, and the fact event, and the spring sing. There, we were blessed with people willing and able to, to work. There are some who said, you know what I could do is I could pray. And I just kept praying for this work. 
We had a sister go home. And that looks like tragedy from a particular perspective. But we understand that it's success. And one of the things that's been brought up a lot is how that whole situation played out. A, a tragic situation in a lot of ways, you know? How, how awful to start to lose your way, lose your thinking, lose a part of yourself. But there were sisters here who came alongside her and helped her, you know? There's Sandy helping everybody understand exactly how to interact with her. Her, her husband isn't a Christian, but there were brothers and sisters investing in him and continue to invest in him. He's brought up in our announcements each Sunday and Wednesday, whenever there's a need for, in, as, as he right now has a, a health need. People sharing their skills. There are all kinds of mentorships happening across all different ages. That was noted. We have a new roof. That was a blessing, something we were concerned about. We have a new uh, building-wide Wi-Fi. We've got, uh, this is something the government hasn't been able to accomplish for 100 years, but we have, in spite of some concerns, we had a balanced, positive budget. There's those digital signs that were installed. And Capstone, what it's all about. We, I had the privilege of watching and being part of uh, two baptisms. A grandma and a grandson baptized the same night. And, and in a way, we all had a part in that. We all got to be part of that. But I was really grateful to be in that little circle with the Ternay and Shockney families. Um, and because of this, we see the work has meaning. It's fun. One of the things I like to do when I do this sermon is I go back and I look at all of the block walls that I've built in the past years. And there's always baptisms. You know, there's pictures of Landon being baptized. There's pictures of, you know, of, of Laura, of different people being baptized. There's, there's uh, people who've come among us. People who came to Christ and uh, had their name not just on a wall on the other side of this drywall after they're baptized here, but their name in the book of life. And you might notice down here in the corner, if you can, there's, you can't miss Jake, right? <laughs> John Hancock over here. But uh, there's Joyce Ternay and Justin Ternay, 11822. There's a lot of names up there. What is the work? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. The work is people work, building up the body of Christ. The work is a new elder, Rick leading, Annette supporting him. The beans, loving our kids. A lot of people brought that up. Judy helping in the kids' classes. So many different people inviting and hosting. Um, 
Tabitha, all the work she's doing, coordinating so many things in the family team, those benevolence boxes back there. I mean, I'm only scratching the surface on, on this stuff. Um, the Ladies' Day had uh, Angel presenting and Bev leading and Hannah leading singing and I think, right? And Adrian leading conversations and, and Hannah's mom coming and presenting. Seth and Landon, have you ever noticed? There's always at least one of them here when you open up and usually when you, when you leave too. Uh, Emily and Sherry teaching was brought up a lot. Um, Riley and Landon leading the spring sing. Jeff doing so many different things, working behind the scenes. All of the anonymous giving that's supporting so much of the things we're doing. You can look in more detail at the things that were turned in on the bulletin board back there in this, this uh, brick wall that you guys all contributed to. This is some of the mentoring that was happening, some of the classes that were happening, some of the events that were happening. Ladies event, fact weekend, our young people together developing relationships. And then let's be honest, part of last year was saying goodbye. And in, and in a way it's really, even with Reba, it's really see you later, right? It's really, I'll see you soon. But that, this was a hard thing last year, saying goodbye as the, as the McAfee family moved away in the middle of the year and the Reed family moved away in the middle of the year. And we had just, we were just getting the structure in place. They were core deacons and we had this. And, and to be honest, we still haven't completely put everything back in place. But they were a blessing. Now they, they were benefited by being here. We were benefited by them. And now they're being a blessing somewhere else. A.T., out in, in Texas, I don't know if he headed back yet, but J.T., we had to say goodbye to him for a while. Um, and, and this is part of, of the work, is people come amongst us, and we try to bless them and be blessed with them. And then, and then they, they, they move on to another place in the kingdom. And we share our lives together. Just have to understand that we do different work than any other work out there. There was a time when it looked like the work that you were doing under the sun was vanity. This is Ecclesiastes. Under the sun, it looks like vanity. But at the end of the great resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, we read these words. Because... Jesus died for our sins and rose again, and now we will rise again and live forever. We can say we have the victory, and we know that our labor is not in vain. Our work is meaningful and lasting. So here's my last challenge. Be bold. There's a quote from an old Scottish mountain climber named William Hutchinson Murray. He says, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. But the moment one definitely commits oneself, and I would say this is, this is particularly true in the work of God. The moment you commit yourself in the work of God, God is with you partnering. Then providence moves too. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. 
Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. In other words, whenever we act boldly, whenever we as the, as the apostles and early church in Acts 4 pray for boldness and keep taking on big tasks and trying to do daunting things and stepping out of our comfort zone and making sacrifices and bringing risk and walking that path of discipleship where all of the richness of promise lies, then God is with us and he will bless our work. We need to trust in him and trust in that. 